how do you love other people? I mean, think about that. It's really rough, isn't it? How can you love other people? It's really hard. It's kind of like if you had a broken hand and you're trying to open a door that has a broken doorknob. I mean, I think that's what it's like trying to love people in this world. Because let's face it, I'm broken and you're broken too. And when broken people are trying to work together in their broken ways, and they're trying to care and love for each other in broken ways, some of which are healthy, some of which are not, it doesn't work out. It's like trying to open a door with a broken doorknob with a broken hand. Like, why isn't this working? Why is it so hard? We are fallen people. We are messed up people. We are sinful people. And it's enough for me to just try and like get by on my own, let alone try and love someone else. Wow, oh, that's hard. How can we love other people? As we saw last week, we were going through the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with our relationship with God. God was setting up healthy boundaries on how we should relate to Him. How can you possibly have a positive relationship with the God of the universe? This is how, he says. And he gives us some clear boundaries. And ultimately, as Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so, uh, so that's what he was uh, setting up in the first, uh, the first part of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus, along with uh, the Jewish leaders of his day, agreed. Everyone agreed that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So then we move on to the next part. How can you love others? Especially when we're so broken. So we get the second part of this. And remember, God, uh, there's some, some disagreements, but, but from my read of this, uh, Israel has come to the foot of Mount Sinai and God has descended down upon the mountain in terrifying thunder and earthquake and storm. And from that terror, He is speaking these commandments to all of Israel who is gathered. And He continues... Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, okay, so this is uh, one of two positive commandments. Uh, eight of them are all negative. Don't do this, don't do that. This is one of the two positive ones. Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Now this takes on different, uh, different features and different stages of life. When you're a child, this means obedience. And again, obedience, you know, if your parents are evil and they're telling you to do evil things, obviously not then, right? But, but in general, it means obedience. You honor your father and mother when you're a child with obedience. And, uh, and many of us, all of us, when we become adults, have to turn back to our parents and apologize, right? <laughs> so it starts with obedience when you're a child. When you're an adult, uh, it just becomes, it, it becomes respect, uh, you need to give them respect. And, and, and in our 21st century life, you know, communicate with them, call them, uh, have conversations with them, uh, speak well of them. Uh, and then when they get older, so I guess uh, when they get older, it means that we take care of them in their, in their need um, as, they, uh, as they are um, unable to take care of themselves. We see that all throughout the Old New Testament. That, that, that's how uh, the Old Testament prophets, that's how uh, Jesus and the apostles have interpreted honor your father and mother. And it comes with a promise, too. And this promise isn't just for Israel, because in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, he, uh, Paul reiterates this to Gentiles, that this comes with a promise. What's the promise? So that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God 
is giving you. Okay, so he's saying, look, the the land he's sending you to, wherever he puts you, if you honor your father and mother, you will have a long life. Now, this isn't a promise like an individual promise. This is more of a corporate promise uh, as as we read through the text and understand what it means. Why? Well, it's, it's pretty understandable. The family is the basic unit of every society. A family is in of itself its own little community, its own little culture. Right? That's why sometimes you, know, you talk with another family and you're like, well, that's a weird way to do things. And maybe it is, but maybe it's perfectly fine. It's just different right? because it's its own culture. And the bedrock of a strong community, of a strong country, of a strong nation is a strong family. That's why God is saying, if, you, if children honor their father and mother, you're going to have a strong family relationship. And if you have strong family relationships that generally are functional, I mean, they're not perfect. No one has perfect uh, families. Uh, because as I started off, we're all sinners. We're all broken in our own special ways. But if, if we have a bedrock of good, strong families, your culture will be healthier for it. You will have a strong community, a strong culture. That's why you have a long life. And to the people, you. Be, it's not a you meaning you individual. It's like all y'all. So all y'all have a long life in the land that God is sending you to. Okay? This is, uh, it makes sense. I mean, we need this today, don't we? Uh, we need to have strong families. Families are breaking apart. And it's hard because you can say, well, my parents weren't perfect. No, nobody's parents were. Um, and obviously, if you get into like a place where they were like abusive or abandoned, I mean, you're going to have to honor them as best as you can while maintaining healthy boundaries and keeping yourself safe. But, but for the vast majority of us, right, we all have flawed, flawed parents. If you're a parent, you are a flawed person yourself. And this is the basis of a strong, healthy society. We need strong families. And you get strong families when children honor their father and mother. Um, with that, he continues on. How can we have, how can we love others? Well, one way is loving your father and mother. Oh, by the way, so here's the thing, right? So if, if your kids see you honoring your father and mother, even in their imperfections, guess what your kids think when they become of age and they have to honor you? They think that's the normal thing to do. Right? So, so for anyone who's out there and you've, you've got rough parents to deal with um, and, and you're bad-mouthing them to your own kids, guess what you're training them to do when you're old and cranky? <laughs> like, it's, not a good, it, it's not a good thing. I, I mean, it's brilliant. He's saying, look, if, you want, if y'all, y'all want to have a good, strong community, if you want to have a good, prosperous nation, honor your father and mother. How can we love others? That's one way. Verse 13, do not murder. Uh, That's very clear. The translation I'm preaching from says do not murder, and that's a good uh, translation of it. Uh, Older translations would say thou shalt not kill. Uh, You know, what do you mean? Like, I can't step on bugs, right? Like, if I accidentally kill someone with my car, I'm out of the kingdom, right? No, that's not what it means. Uh, Murder is the, the better word here. Because there are times where, unfortunately, killing has to happen. Self-defense, if there's a just war and you have to defend people, 
Uh, it, it's a tragedy of this fallen world, but, but it has to happen. But murder is this premeditated, I want to destroy this person's life, even if they deserve it, even if they have it coming, it's still wrong. Thou shalt not murder. You will not get into your brain. I am going to go and I'm going to kill this person. I don't want to have anything to do with them. They, they don't deserve to live. It's premeditated. And this is usually one of the Ten Commandments. All of us are like, whew, easy. I haven't done it. <laughs> right? Like, I'm off scot-free. Except for some, someone in here is like, oh. <laughs> then I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, no, usually this is the one everyone's like, oh man, I'm off scot-free. This is, this is good. I'm, 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 I'm fine. Except, here's the thing. Then Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Go ahead and put this up here, Drayton. Jesus comes and he says, oh, hey, you think you're good with this one. You have heard it said. Uh, to your ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. <sighs> Come on, Jesus. This gets all of us, doesn't it? It doesn't have to be the words, you fool, exactly. I mean, back then, that was a much stronger insult than it was now but it's a, a state of your heart he said yeah you might have not physically killed someone but you've essentially hated them so much you didn't want them to exist anymore you've killed them in your own heart and i'm showing you that your hearts are guilty and you know if you've been on the receiving end of of hatred like what jesus is describing you know it hurts i can remember times in like junior high school high school like just feeling like, man, it would be better if these people punched me than the way they're making me feel now. Forget junior high school and high school. I can remember times as an adult, as a pastor, from people who supposedly loved me, thinking, wow, if you had stabbed me, this would hurt a little bit less. It really would. You, if you've been on the receiving end of that, which I know many of you have, it is horrendous. We murder people with our words. Oh, God's saying, hey, don't murder them with your hands. And Jesus says, yeah, and that also includes your words and how you talk to them. And this includes, this includes celebrities. This includes politicians. Right? The way we talk about these people who we haven't really met, but we feel like we can talk about them. It's, it, it is absolutely horrendous. We've murdered... How many celebrities are like, I'm done with Twitter. I'm done with... I'm off. I am out. Right? And you're like, <laughs> right? Or maybe you won't, aren't like that, but we're like, ah, loser. Right? But they get treated so terribly. You're like, yeah, no wonder they did. We've murdered them. We haven't even murdered them with our mouth. It's like, okay, if you physically murder someone, you murder them with your hands to some way, extent, right? Um, and then, you know, just a few years ago, before social media, you would murder them with your words, right? And cut them down. And now we've gone back to the keyboard and we're murdering them with our hands. This is... Like, do you see what I'm saying here? Like murder for real and murder with words. And then we're back to our hands. I, I think we're, in a, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction is what I'm trying to say. It's really bad. And Jesus, interpreting the Ten Commandments for us, says don't murder. 
How can you love other people? Don't digitally murder them. Don't murder them with your hands for sure. Don't murder them with your words. How else can we love others? Verse 15, or excuse me, verse 14, do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. So adultery is uh, simply defined as having sexual relationships with uh, someone who is not your spouse. Um, uh, that's biblically a simple definition of it. And, uh, and some people say, yeah, I, I, I've, I haven't done that. Other people uh, have. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't always necessarily destroy a marriage. It is very hard. But when there is adultery in, introduced into a marriage, uh, there can be reconciliation if the offended party is willing to forgive and move forward. Uh, sometimes there isn't. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes the uh, offending party doesn't care about wanting forgiveness and just moves right along. Um, but it's possible. But here's the hard thing is, you know, it's one thing when adultery, which is like one of, I mean, is such an intimate betrayal of trust. Um, so many men and women I've talked to who've experienced that, like the word they always use is betrayal. Always. Betrayal. Um, but it's one thing to commit adultery and that sin and to be ashamed of that sin. It's another thing to celebrate it, isn't it? It's another thing to say, hey, no, like we're fine, everything's good. Now, fortunately, we are in a culture that doesn't celebrate adultery, right? If you poll Americans, by and large, most of them say it's wrong, which, I mean, it's amazing to me. Because our whole culture is kind of prepped on teaching us that adultery is okay. How do I know that? Well, this is what Jesus comes along again, right? For anyone who's here like, well, I haven't committed adultery. Whew. And then Jesus is like, wait, hold on. Go ahead and put this up here, Drayton. It says in Matthew 5.27, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Right, so he's talking to a group of men, so it's not just like women can't lust and men can. Like Some people have used that Bible verse to say that. That's not what's happening here. He was talking to men, so he's, he's, he's trying to convince them what's happening. And furthermore, what we see um, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about divorce, and he really rakes these men through the coals uh, over, over their, their divorce practices. Uh, because Jesus acknowledges there are cases where divorce has to happen. Um, you know, because, uh, and we've talked about this before, because of abuse, because of adultery, because of abandonment. But what they were doing in the first century is the men, not the women, because the women had no rights. The men, if they wanted to uh, get a divorce, if they, for any reason, they could. They could, any reason. Um, these are all written down. She burnt my breakfast. Nope, out. Um, you uh, uh, aren't happy with her. You got into an argument and you're not happy. You can just write her a note and say, well, you're, you're free to marry anyone you want, which is the man's way of, of divorcing his wife. Or, or, or they could legally say, I have found someone more attractive. I'm going to marry her. Or they could say, you're not as attractive as when I first married you. So I'm going to find somebody else. I mean, that one is just insane. Like, you realize you're not as attractive as when she first married you too, right? But they were just doing this, 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 uh, this practice in order to, to justify their own adultery because they're like, oh, well, I can go you know, just one at a time, but that's fine. And divorce, divorce, divorce. Uh, and and it, it's not treating their wives as uh, individuals made in God's image. 
And so, but they're saying, hey, we've never committed adultery. We're fine. We're clear before God because we've been following the letter of the law. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? No. No, you're not. Because you guys just thought if you could set up the law in such a way that uh, you could skirt the law and you were following the letter of the law and you weren't really committing adultery, okay, guess what? You're still guilty. Because if any man looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he's a committed adultery with her in his heart. It's a heart issue. And then everyone goes, oh. If you look at another person with lust in your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says you're guilty of, of adultery. Oh my goodness. You know, maybe the physical consequences aren't the same. But the heart consequences are. I heard one theologian say, north of puberty, we are all sexually broken. I think that's true. North of puberty, we're all sexually broken. Um, and we live in a culture that is um, encouraging us to... Um, if not be physical adulterers, because we say, hey, adultery is wrong as a culture, uh, which is good because it agrees with God, but it is training us and teaching us how to commit adultery um, with our eyes all the time, constantly. Everything you look at, everything you watch, it's just saying, hey, hey, look at this. And it's interesting because the reality is, is that God made humanity, God made men and women uh, just amazingly. Men and women are beautiful. And we have almost nothing in our society that trains us away from saying, when you see a beautiful man or a beautiful woman, go, like our society trains you to say, wow, like how sexy that person is. That's what our society trains you to do. We almost have nothing in our culture, even in the church, to try and retrain our brains to say, wait, 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 wait. How do we go from, oh, how sexy they are, lust in my heart, to go, wow, that is a beautiful man. That is a beautiful woman. That is a healthy response. God has made us beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully. We almost have nothing. We have fine art, but that's you know, most of us don't access it. To just praise God and say, wow, God made a very beautiful man. He made a very beautiful woman here. Um, which is not lusting after a person in your own heart. How can we love others? How can we love others? We give it another... Uh, commandment here, verse 15, do not steal. Which again, we think, uh, whew, I'm off the hook on this one. You know, not too many of us went armed bandit style and knocking over 7-Elevens and banks and, you know, anything like that. You cleared your throat, interestingly, there, like, <laughs> right when I said that. <laughs> we can talk later. <laughs> it was perfect timing. <laughs> Right, but I mean, so maybe some of us have, but maybe some of us haven't. But the reality is, is we steal in other ways, don't we? We steal from our employers when we're not doing the job we're supposed to do, uh, don't we? Uh, we can steal, oh my goodness, I'm guilty of this. We can steal when we're making a return on an item and we're not exactly honest about why we're returning the thing, right? <laughs> well, I used it and it broke. I opened the box and it was broke, right? It happened. That's stealing. That's stealing. Um... Or uh, let's play a little game here. Uh, how, how give me a dollar amount that is estimated is stolen by employees every year in office supplies. Well, how how, mu how much off? I, I read, I found two different sources for this, and the number just seems unbelievable to me. But every year, it's estimated this amount of money is stolen in office supplies by employees in America. Two 
Two billion? Two billion, do I hear three? Okay, I can't believe this number, but the two different sources I looked at said 50 billion dollars. And I didn't believe it either until they said the number one stolen item is post-it notes. Then I was like, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> right, like it happens. People go, oh, oh, post-it notes, right? Like, oh, I just throw these in here. You know, oh, I need some, some paper. So they throw a ream of paper into their, into their book bag on the way home. They steal ink. Uh, they steal pencils. Uh, they steal computers. They steal laptops. Oh, I'm just going to borrow it. I'm just going to borrow it and never return it, right? That's also called stealing. 50 billion, I can't believe that number. Like, I can't, I absolutely can't. It's just too high. I'm pretty, that's larger than many economies in the world. <laughs> but that's stealing. And God says, you can't have a society that functions if you're stealing. How else can we love our neighbor? Don't steal from them. How else can we love others? Verse 16, don't give false testimony against your neighbor. And, you know, to define this, who is a neighbor, it's go back to the, the Sesame Street song. It's the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. It's the people that you meet each day, right? <laughs> it's, it's everyone. It's anyone you've had any kind of contact with or anything like that, right? Um, don't bear false testimony against your neighbor, right? And what's interesting is God didn't say don't lie, right? He could easily say don't lie. But he says, don't bear false test. Don't give false testimony. Don't give false testimony. Here's what's scary about this, especially in the 21st century. Okay? This isn't just about when you are willfully lying, although it includes lie willfully lying. Right? Don't lie about your neighbor, the people that you have interactions with. Don't give false information. Okay, here's where the church. Big C Church has really failed over the last two years. Don't give false information. So, we as Christians are required to be people of truth. We who follow God should be people of truth. And if we bear false information, if we share false information, if we communicate false information with our mouth or with our social media accounts, we are accountable to God for that. It doesn't matter if the news article is slanted in a way that you want to be true. It doesn't matter if, if the health information is what you want to be true or you think deep down in your heart is really true, but if you are sharing information that is actually not true, you're responsible to God for that. Isn't that horrifying? It really is. Because we've shared a lot of stuff. We're like, yeah, that sounds like the thing I want. I want to wear a mask. Sure, share it. Oh, I don't want to wear a mask. I'm going to share that. Boom, right? And if it's false information, at the end of time, God says, no, that was not true. And you're like, well, I didn't know this guy I trusted. Oh, well, you should have looked into it then maybe. Or not share it. Don't give false information. Whew. That one's rough. You know what? One of the things I found really helpful is a pastor who married Krista and I I always have to be careful when I say that because that sounds weird these days, doesn't it? The pastor who officiated our wedding, there we go. <laughs> the pastor who officiated our wedding, I've really respected him. Uh, we've got different views on a whole bunch of things. I mean, we agree on the major stuff. Uh, Christ has died, uh, rose again, and is returning one day, and whoever trusts in him can have eternal life, right? We agree on the majors. But, but 
we disagree on a bunch of things. But what I appreciate, he posts a lot on social media. But what I'll see is he'll post something, and if he finds out it's not true, he takes it down, and he, he has a post. He doesn't just take it down. He posts. He's like, hey, I put this article about this up here, and I found out this is why it wasn't true, and this is why it's not. And he does that often. I mean, you know, maybe be a little slower to post kind of thing, right? But he does it often. I have so much respect for him for that. Right? He doesn't just delete it and pretend like it never existed like so many people do. He takes it down, and he says, hey, I was wrong, and this is why I was wrong. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's what God is saying here. I mean, how can you have a culture? How can you have a society function that can't even have the same set of facts that peddles in false information. You can't. I mean, we don't trust each other now. Like, nobody trusts anyone. Well, I mean, I, if they're on your side and they believe everything you believe, then yes, you trust them. But if they don't, oh, I can't trust you to make my sandwich for me. Right? Let alone anything else. Oh, my goodness. It's going to come to that. You watch, right? You're going to go on a subway and you'll be like, hey, who did you vote for in the election? <laughs> and then they'll be like, I refuse to be served by you. You watch. It's, it's insane. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. How else can we love others? This one... Verse 17, it gets to the heart of the matter. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I mean, this now becomes a heart issue, doesn't it? It's a heart issue. Like finally, God, God the Father comes and He gives us a heart issue thing. Don't covet. Okay, well guys, like, what does it mean to covet? To, mean, to covet means to intensely want something, to intensely desire it, to yearn for it, to long for it, to burn for it. And he gives us a whole list of things, which honestly, if you've ever, if you look at any of these things, there have been times, man, you're just jealous. You want what someone else has and you can't have it. What do you do with that? I mean, because now, like, don't steal. Okay, if you tell me what not stealing is, I can try and not steal. Don't murder. Tell me what not murdering is, and then I'll try not to do it, right? But covet? Have you ever wanted something with a burning desire, as Merriam-Webster says? And then try and be like, well, I guess I don't want that anymore, right? <laughs> no. It doesn't go away. How do you get rid of, of wanting something that you don't have? I was praying about this this week. I'm like, yeah, seriously, what will... And I think the answer is, man, when you have a covetous desire for something that is not yours, you can try and fight it, you're going to fail. I, I think the answer is you need to give it to God. And you, you, you need to go in prayer and say, God, I want this. I want this person, I want this relationship, I want this house, I want this item, I want this car, I want this, this vehicle, I want this job. And it's not mine to have. I don't know what to do with it, here it is. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares about you. So summing up all of these, how can we love other people? We can love other people as Jesus said. Remember, He said the first commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. How do you love other people? You love others. You love others by loving them as you love yourself. You love others as you love yourself. If you look through those Ten Commands, yeah, I don't want anyone killing me. I don't want anyone stealing from me. I don't want anyone murdering me, committing adultery against me, you know, betraying me in such a way, or lying about me, or, or intensely burning for the things that I have. That's what Jesus says. He summarizes the Ten Commandments with those two commands. Love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. And love others as yourself. 
If you think about it, that is the foundation for a strong society, is it not? If only we could follow all of these things. So, verse 18, all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains surrounded by smoke. So they're terrified, and then God is speaking to them. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us, and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. Okay, I fi- do you find that, that hilarious? Don't, don't be afraid. God's doing this so that you fear him. <laughs> don't be afraid, fear God. <laughs> right? right? He, I think he's saying, don't, God's not going to kill you. But you need to understand who God is and who you are not. This healthy fear, this healthy respect, this healthy understanding of who God is so that you will say, okay, wait a minute, God's God, I'm not. This isn't just, this isn't just Bob who came over here and said, hey, uh, you shouldn't do these things. I'm like, all right, I'll try not to, but if, who cares? It's just Bob. He's not Bob, it's God. Maybe it should scare you into doing the right thing or scaring you into repenting. Not because he's going to kill you, not because he's going to hate you, but because he's the God of the whole universe. And he demands your respect. We can love others by loving them as we love ourselves. You guys remember Tom Brady, right? Right after the Super Bowl, he announced that, uh, that he was retiring from football. You remember that? And then, and then very shortly after, he announced that he was not retiring from football. <laughs> uh, the comedian Stephen Colbert tweeted this out immediately after that announcement came. Go ahead and put that up here. He said, Tom Brady got one taste of what it's like to help kids with math homework and decided to return to being tackled by the largest men in the world. <laughs> yes, I retweeted that. Yes, I love that. <laughs> math is hard, isn't it? Like, it is so hard. Math is so difficult. And teaching kids math is so difficult. It is the worst trying to teach kids math, right? There is crying. There is yelling. There is fighting. There are temper tantrums. And then, that's just my attitude, then you have what the kids go through, right? (laughs) I mean, really, math is so hard. And the thing with math is you really can't Teach yourself math. You have to have people come and teach you and walk alongside you. And when you work at math, it is hard, it is hard, it is hard. And you will make a lot of mistakes, won't you? Like you make a ton of mistakes as you're learning math. But for the kids and eventually teenagers and eventually adults who make their way through and they stick with it, and they learn math despite all the mistakes, all the difficulties, but they continue to work with their teachers, they continue to work with their parents, they continue to work with their tutors. When they come through on the other side, they understand the world in a way that people who have quit absolutely don't. They have tools that they can use that those who quit somewhere in junior high, high school, they just don't have and never will. It's a really worthwhile thing to learn math, even though it's hard, even though you need someone to help you. Loving people is really hard, isn't it? It's like math. 
You can't do it on your own. Because here's the thing. You are going to find if you try to love people on your own, love others as you love themselves on your own, you will fail. You look at all these Ten Commandments we went through. Most of us have actually, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, all of us have failed each one of these six commandments that we looked at today. And if we looked at the one, the four from the previous week, we've all failed at those two. We haven't been able to do it. We don't know how to love God. We can't love God. If we want to love God, we fail to love God. If we want to love others, we fail to love others. Time and time again, I have failed you, church. I've been here for over 10 years now. And you guys know, I have failed you, failed you, failed you time and again. And I haven't done all the things that I'm supposed to do. And I haven't loved you the way you should have been loved. I fail. It's like math homework, though. When you fail at loving others and you see yourself in these Ten Commandments and say, I can't do this, what do you do? Well, you go to the one who teaches you how to love, just like the kid goes to the one who teaches them how to understand math. When you fail to love others, what do you do? It is God revealing that we at our core are sinful and that we need the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't know Jesus, you need to run to Him and say, yes, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And I want to follow you the rest of my life. And He forgives you of your sins and transforms you. If you are a Christian and you're failing to love people, I mean, you run to Jesus. He is your tutor. And say, Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. And you know what? He's going to teach you. And as He teaches you and as He changes you, guess what? You're not going to perfectly love everyone after you've prayed one prayer. You're not going to perfectly love the difficult people after two or three or 40 prayers. It's going to be time and time again. You're going to go to him and say, I can't do this. I don't know how. Give me the strength. Give me the power. Give me the energy. And you know what he'll do? He'll give it to you. He'll give you grace. And slowly and slowly and slowly he will transform you away from this hard-hearted, self-important, self-absorbed person who can't help but, but, but be selfish and hate other people and murder them with your thoughts and minds and, and actions. And he turns you into someone who loves others, who, who sees others the way God does. Flawed, but, but people who he loves dearly. He changes you. These Ten Commandments all point us to our need for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know Him, trust that He died for your sins and rose again, and you will be saved. If you do know Him, these Ten Commandments are going to show us our failures. And when you mess up, we have opportunity to repent. We can ask for forgiveness. And he changes a little bit every time we run to him. We learn a little bit more. We get a little bit more of the power to love others. So that at the end of it, if you don't quit, if you don't stop, if you don't give up, we're able to see and love the world unlike all the people who quit before us in a deeper way, a better way, a way that changes things. How can you love other people? You can love other people by loving them as you love yourself. If you want to see our society change, love people in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we've continued to go through the Ten Commandments, I pray that you will change and transform all of us. I pray that you, see, you illuminate all of our deficiencies and places where we need to go to our Lord and Savior 
our God, our Master, Jesus Christ. Time and time again, over and over again. Help us to be like a diligent child going to their math tutor, to their teacher, to their parent, asking for help. And yes, frustrated when they get it wrong, but, but not quitting, not giving up. I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that that song we sang earlier is true. They will know we are Christians by our love. They will know we are Christians not by our knowledge, not by our votes, not by our politics, not by our skills, not by our abilities, not by our signs, not by our achievements, not our accomplishments, not our strength. They will know that we are Christians by our love that is poured out through Jesus Christ. Help us to be a congregation that loves in the name of Jesus. When we disagree with others, help us to love in the name of Jesus. When we want to fight, help us to love in the name of Jesus. And as His love is poured out through us, we pray that will give us opportunity to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ and see more sons and daughters come into the Kingdom of God. Father, change us. Help us to love. We confess to you right now we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We've failed so many times. But the beauty of the Gospel is you pick us up every single time. You love us. You care for us. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to purify us from all unrighteousness. We confess to you. I confess to you. Help us to love more deeply. More like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.